we're finishing up our series today, Jesus, Light of the World. I'm glad to be back with you. Our vacation, was, it was really good. Uh, we enjoyed our time in Disneyland, in Legoland. It was relaxing. We got, we got nicely burnt on one day at the ocean, but we're still feeling the effects of it. But it was a good time uh, for us to have as a family. And so uh, thank you um, for your prayers while we were gone. Thank you, um, even just understanding uh, that it was important for us to go. Today I'm feeling a little bit sore. I, I have a tooth that needs to be pulled. And so yesterday I was feeling the effects of that, that tooth. And so, um, you know, when you're in pain and then the, after the pain, you, you feel like the next day you're just like sore and, and you feel like you've been beat up a little bit. And so that's how my face feels. <laughs> and so uh, the Lord's good though. Um, and we'll be good. So if it sounds like I slur my words, it's probably because there's a buildup of drool in my mouth. <laughs> and I have yet to swallow because it's painful. And so, anyways, let's pray before we enter into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. And we thank you that we can gather to, to hear it. And Lord, we pray as we hear it, we're transformed by it. Lord, we want to come and know you better. And Lord, as we get to know you more, Lord, as we draw closer to you, Lord, that does something within our hearts. And so we want to go out then and share what we've heard, share what we've seen, and share the things that um, you've called us to do. And so we pray um, that your words um, will flow from my mouth. And we pray that our hearts and ears will be open to what you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. So today we are looking at the passage, uh, John 6, 16 to 24, where Jesus walks on water. I know. This is awesome. Awesome part of scripture. We also find this part of scripture in the two other gospels, the gospel of Matthew and Mark. And so we'll use John as like our text, as our starting point, but we will also pull from Matthew and Mark um, as they provide valuable insight to this text. And so it's cool to see the insight of those as in pertaining to this miracle. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, John chapter 6, 16 to 24, pull up the app on your phone, whatever you do. You do it, and we'll pull it up on the screen here. There we go. John 6, 16 to 24. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten in the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And so this scripture is sandwiched between, uh, and Chris talked about this two weeks ago, I believe, the bread of life sermon, or when Jesus multiplies the loaves and the fish and he feeds the 5,000. So why is this miracle sandwiched between the 5,000? <laughs> there we go. It's already preaching. And why is it then, like, why is it sandwiched in between that section of Scripture? Because it goes, talks about, you know, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Then he goes out onto the 
they send the disciples out. He walks on water. Then they come back, and then it's the second part of the feeding of the 5,000. One of the remarkable things about this miracle of Jesus walking on the water and the disciples being rescued from the wind and landing strangely safe at their desired haven is that nothing is made of it in the rest of the gospel. Like they talk about it, eight verses and then that's it. Pretty, a pretty intense miracle, right? Walking on water. I haven't seen that yet. And so it's an intense, tense miracle. And we are in the middle of chapter six and the entire chapter is devoted to the unfolding the implications of the miracle of the feeding the 5,000. Something amazing happens, but it goes back to the 5,000. And that miracle, it gets a whole, the 5,000 gets a whole chapter to explain it. 50-something verses. This miracle doesn't get that. doesn't get the explanation, or so we think. So John is not telling the miracle as a way of setting the stage for a long dialogue about Jesus' ability to walk, and walk on water. Instead, this miracle is embedded in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. This miracle in John's mind served that story. It had a purpose. It wasn't just there by accident. It wasn't a poor author error. It was like, oh, I like this story. I'm going to throw it in here. John is telling this short and amazing incident of Jesus walking on water to clarify or underline something in the story of the loaves and the fish. In the beginning of chapter 6, the ultimate point of that miracle was to point to Jesus himself as the bread of heaven. That was the ultimate point. The point was not mainly that Jesus gives bread to satisfy our stomach, but that he is the bread to satisfy our souls. And Chris had mentioned this, and he talked about this. It might feel rhetorical, but bringing it all back, I need to talk about what happened in the 5,000. But the people, they were blind to that truth. They're like, he just, he fed us. They were satisfied in their stomachs, but they didn't get it. it was for their souls. And we see in verse 26 that the people come to Jesus after he gets off the boat. And he says, Jesus says this to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In verse 15, it says this, that they wanted to make Jesus their king. In other words, they believed in him as the great source of prosperity, but not as the great savior from their sin. And not as the great treasure of himself, in himself. Jesus did not come into the world mainly to deliver us from the sufferings of this present age, but to deliver us from the wrath to come. We see that in 1 Thessalonians. He came not to give us an easy life now, but an eternal life later. So when they wanted to make him their belly-filling king... He left them and went into the mountain. Jesus saw this response of the people, and he didn't want this response to influence his disciples. He didn't want his disciples to think that he just came to satisfy their present needs, but he came to do much more, right? Because the purpose of Jesus and his disciples is that he was teaching them so that then they could go out and share the message of what Jesus did here on earth. And so, when he saw the 5,000 saying, like, we want to make him the king of earth, it's like, that's not the point. And he didn't want his disciples to take that. And so, he sends them out on a boat. Later that evening, verse 16 to 21 says, if you have your Bibles open, we can peer back down there. It's going to, I'll pull up here too. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. 
But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The key verse here is verse 17, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. The same story in Matthew says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. For a first century Palestinian Jew, the water... The sea was not a place of comfort, not a place that they really desired to be. The people of God were terrified of the sea. They did not see the sea as a place of comfort. They seen it as a place of respite. Our family, we were just at the sea. And we loved it, or the ocean, and we loved it. We ran in it, we, we swam in it, we let it burn our skin. And so, like, we were at the sea. And like a lot of us will go to the sea and we'll just be enamored by the beauty or the ocean, just enamored by it. They were not like, this is amazing. They were absolutely petrified of the sea. Then there was the fishermen. They actually had some kind of, they're used to it, like Peter. So he was brave in the eyes of others. Not only were they on the sea, Jesus just sent them out there all by themselves. Just like, yeah, you go. The quickest way to Capernaum from where they were was to go by boat. They're afraid of what is going to happen on the sea. They are. They're afraid. What's going to happen to us on the sea? They don't have the guy who just multiplied a handful of fish and loaves into thousands on their boat. They're all by themselves. The disciples are on the sea, and the wind and the rain and the waves have kicked up, and they are convinced they're going to die. This is it. Then they see what they think. It looks across. It mentions this in the gospel. They see what they think is a ghost. So you believe that the sea equals death. You think the sea is about to swallow you up and kill you, and then here comes a ghost. Now put them together. Why would there be a ghost there? Well, to claim their life. So they're terrified. They're afraid. They're thinking there's a ghost. They're afraid of the sea. They are on their edge of their seat. So here is the pictures of the disciples in the dark, in the storm, bereft of Jesus, not by his side. Right after a miracle, who point, whose the point was this, I am the bread from heaven. And if you feed on me, you will live forever. But now their life is imperable, not by hunger, but by wind. Verse 18 says, The sea became rough because the wind, because a strong wind was blowing. This time he doesn't give them twelve loaves of basket or twelve baskets of miracle bread. That miracle would have been useless at this time. They're drowning. Here, here's a bread lifesaver. Hop on. You're gonna be okay. Remember, he's trying to tell his disciples something. He's really trying to get a point across to them. Something that this sign, this miracle, he is trying to show them the purpose of why he is here, why he has come, why he is who he says he is. And that purpose was missed when he fed the 5,000. He gives them the miracle of his presence. When they thought there is no way he could be there, there he is. And the reason I think the focus is on Jesus' presence, his personal presence, is that John makes no comment about the stilling of the storm. It's not the point. What does he say in verses 19 to 21? It's coming. I promise. 
617. Oh, I'm jumping the gun. What does he say in verse 19 to 21? They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. What John says is not, oh, look, he has authority over the winds and the waves. What an all-providing king he is. That's true. He is the all-providing king, and he would have authority over the winds and the waves. And we actually do see his authority over nature because he walks on water. But what John says is Jesus himself came to them. He identified himself, it is I. And they were glad, they desired to take him into the boat now. They were like, okay, it is him, the one. And with that, the story within the story is immediately over. They are at their desired location. They're, they're just there. The point has been made. It's been made twice. I did a miracle for you on the land and gave each of you a basket of bread. I showed you that I will be your personal bread, each one of you. If you have an overwhelming ministry in front of you to feed the 5,000 and you feel totally inadequate, not only will I give you resources to feed them, I will be there for you when it's all over. I will not just give you bread. I will be your bread. And now I've done another miracle for you. I've shown you that in the dark, in the storm, I will let nothing separate me from you. I will walk on water to be with you. So whether the story is about rescued from hunger by making bread or rescued from wind by walking on water, the point is, I don't just give you bread. I am bread. I don't just make the wind stop. I get in the boat. What Jesus is showing his disciples is that he is to be king. But his kingship will not be an earthly rule, but an eternal one. So, now that we've laid it out, what can we take from this story? What are the things that we can grab from this? As we look at this story, we have the ability to actually to look at other stories, to look at the other accounts of the stories. And we actually have the ability to look forward, too, in our Bibles, to see other stories that correlate with this. When the disciples were sitting in the boat and they were frightened, it reminded me of a passage in John 20 to 19. Jesus had just been crucified, and then three days later, he had risen, and now his body was no longer located in the tomb. And the disciples are afraid because they have gotten wind that the, that the Jews are coming for them to question them. And if they killed Jesus, what are they going to do to us? They think the disciples have taken the body. And as they're in fear in this locked room in John 20, 19, all of a sudden, Jesus comes in and meets with them. All of a sudden, they're no longer frightened. All of a sudden, they're filled with peace, it says. As the storm is raging on the sea, they see a figure come and they are afraid and they say, and that figure then says, it is I. This statement, is, it is I, is in the Greek. There we go. In the Greek is ego emi, which is translated I am. When the, he says, speaks of Christ's divinity, which is the goal of all of John, to speak of Christ's divinity. His stories are to show that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. 
we see the purpose of the miracle hit home in Mark's gospel account of the story. When Mark tells the story of Jesus walking on the water, he states this in Mark 6.48. In Mark 6.48, in this account of, the, this, of Jesus walking on the water, it says this, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. And so Mark's gospel is saying, he meant to pass by them. The phrase he meant to pass by them speaks of Christ's divinity. He wasn't racing them. He was like, he meant to pass by them. Oh, you guys had a head start going to Capernaum. Look how slow you are. I'm passing by you now. He wasn't trying to pass by them so he wouldn't see them. Oh, there's those disciple guys again. Uh, I'm going to make a little detour over here. He was showing him, them, that he was the better Moses. Moses wanted to see God's glory. So God placed him in the cleft of the rock, and it says that he passed by him. Jesus is doing the same thing here. He is speaking to that. He wants to pass by the disciples so that they can get a glimpse, a picture that he is God, that he is who he says he is, that he is the I am. Not to say you're all on your own, but he's pulling back, I am the better Moses. Moses was in the cleft of the rock. You're on the boat. God walked past Moses while he was in the cleft of the rock. I pass by. Now I see you, but the show of my divinity, the show of who I am. It echoes Job, where Job declares that it is the God who tramples the waves of the sea. Christ is revealing to his disciples who he is. I am the great I am. When they hear him say, it is I, they invite him into the boat. He arrives at the situation and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. We see in both instances when Jesus enters in, life becomes more clear. There's peace. When Jesus entered in the room, they had peace. They were no longer worried about the situation outside. They had peace. When they saw Jesus say, it is I, and he came into the boat, they had peace. The circumstances in both do not change. They're still looking, being looked for by the Jews. They're still on the sea. But there is a sense of security when he enters. I like the song that we sang, The Way. And it says, when you're near him, all your fears are gone. They cast away. I don't know the exact words, but that's the gist. And that's exactly what happens here. Immediately with him, all fear is gone. When we let Christ enter our life, we let him enter the boat. It does not mean unfortunate things will not happen. They will happen. But it means that we have someone who is bigger than the circumstance on our side. It means someone who is strong enough to walk through the storm. He's walked through it, through it. They walk to the one who's walked through it. If he can walk to us through the storm, then he can walk us through the storm. I'll say that again. If he can walk to us through the storm, then he can walk with us through the storm. Sometimes we think when the storms happen in our life, it's because we've been disobedient. We've done something we shouldn't have. It's our fault. Sometimes in our disobedience, things happen, yes. You can maybe look back and see, I probably should have done this differently. As I look back with my tooth, 
I realized I should have got it pulled earlier than I did. And so I realize the consequences of my disobedience. Sometimes situations happen even we obediently follow Christ. The disciples head out into the sea because the Lord told them to go, actually. Hey, yeah, go out into the sea. I'll be right there. They are obedient to him, but they're in a storm. Have you ever heard this line, the safest place to be is in the will of God? We've heard this. I tell my kids this. I tell them the, the best life will be a life with Christ. That's true in a sense, but sometimes people confuse that to mean that everywhere God sends you is safe. Easy. Like a walk through a rose garden. Coming here, yeah, it was, we know we're supposed to come here, but it's been tough. Selling a home, buying a home, transferring your kids into a new place. And you need to understand here they obeyed the direct command, Jesus, and ended up in a storm as a result. So when it, storms hit you, you don't assume you're out of the will of God. Don't always assume that. Certain storms are part of the will of God for you because God is not doing, God is not just doing something for you, he's doing something in you. He's working inside of you. Acts 20, 22 to 23, Paul says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship awaits me. Warning signs. Hello. But obedient. And he went. Yes, he experienced hardships. But Christ worked in him and did a great work. And then that great work spread throughout everywhere. Paul understood that these trials to which he's referring were part of the will of God for him. So when you make a decision in faith and it gets difficult, don't be surprised. A, you have an enemy that immediately goes to war against you. He's at war against you. He's at war against everything that we're doing. And B, God is trying to test your resolve and deepen your faith in him. The biggest thing God is doing in your life, in our life, in my life, is teaching us to trust him. So faith usually leads you through difficulty, not around it. Oh, it's like, that's not what I want to hear. But we don't want to blame him for when things are going wrong. We want to look to him, the one who's already gone through the storm, and realize, I need to get close to him. Isaiah 42, 2-3 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers... They will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, the promise. As we walk, we will not be consumed. I would want my Savior to take me around the water. Truthfully, I would want him to take me around the water. I would have taken the long route to get to Capernaum. Or a bridge for over the waters. Why couldn't he do that? Why couldn't he miraculously make a bridge? But God takes me through the waters to show me his grace is deeper than the water. His presence stronger than the fire. He wants me to be able to trust him in any and all situations. Faith leads you through difficulty, not around it. Tough. But we have the one who's walked through the storm. 
In Matthew's gospel account of this story, we're introduced to Peter. Peter gets a lot of flack for doing things abruptly, for saying things out of turn. But many of us maybe wouldn't have put our foot over the boat to go to Jesus when he said come. Peter steps out and takes a few steps on the water. And with his eyes on Jesus, he takes a few steps. Then he looks at the storm. And since his name is Rock, he does what naturally any rock does on the water. He begins to sink. That was a pat corny pastor joke from me to you. Fortunately, Peter had been around Jesus long enough that he knew what to pray. Jesus, help me. Like any of us would. And like when I was in the shower last night, Jesus, help me as my pain was shooting through my mouth. There's a time for short prayers and there are time for long prayers. When you are sinking in water, a short prayer is suffice. Jesus, help me. Another morning pastor joke from me to you. Sometimes we are like Peter. We are in the midst of a storm and we keep our eye on Christ. We have our eyes on him. You follow him. You read his word. And you go where he feels you've called, where he's called you to go. And you're excited in your, in your obedience. Then you look at the storm around you. And you wonder, why hasn't the storm stopped? I've been obedient. And then the moment you take your eyes off of Christ, you begin to falter. When we follow Christ, doesn't mean the storms will necessarily stop. But what it means is we get this short glimpse from Peter. When we walk out in faith and keep our eyes on him, we, we start to make it through the storm. The point of this story of Peter is not to demonstrate the greatness or weakness of Peter's faith. The point is to demonstrate the greatness of God's grace. When I was reading the parallel, parallel accounts of this, when I was reading in Mark, his account didn't mention Peter. Matthew's did. Mark, it didn't. And Mark was like Peter's traveling companion. If you look through Mark, you're going to find a lot of the stories of Peter in Mark. And scholars tell us that the gospel of Mark are essentially like Peter's preaching notes. If you wanted to find, yeah, like a story about Peter, you find it in Mark. At first, I thought, like, doesn't, Peter doesn't want us to know about his wavering faith. Maybe he's a bit ashamed. But then I was like, there's got to be a different reason. Peter doesn't want the focus on him. Peter doesn't want the focus to be on him at all. We could have had the account of Peter in Mark. But Peter... I believe, wants the focus to all be on Jesus. Because this story is not about Peter's faith. It's about Jesus' faithfulness. Peter wants us to know that he is always close. When you call out to him, even if it's in fear, he helps. Psalm 94, 18, when I said, my foot is slipping, your steadfast love, O Lord, supported me. Our God is a God who will always be there to catch us, pick us back up, to lift us on top of the waves. He is always there. He is faithful. So when you waver, put your eyes back on him, is what he's saying. Put your eyes back on me. The story doesn't give you an example to emulate, but a savior to trust. I heard a teacher say, in this story, Peter may have failed at what he set out to do, but Jesus succeeded and providing exactly what he wanted to prove, that he is always trustworthy, that he is always there by your side, that he is always there when you call. How much more should we see this on now, on the other side of the cross? 
There we see Jesus not only come to us in the storm, he took it into himself, the storm of God's wrath. He not only walked on top of the waves, but soared over sin and death in the resurrection. Not only did he lift us up on top of the waves, he filled with the power of resurrection life. And I know that if he reached all the way down to rescue me from my sin, I know that he will help me when I stumble. I know he will help me through the storm. If he reached out to save me when I was his enemy, certainly he will reach out to save me now that I am his son. He is with you in the storm. He is faithful. Keep your eyes on him. I'll call the worship team up. As I close with the last point that we see in this story is Jesus is telling you to come to him. He's telling you to come to me. I know you're either going through something right now or you've maybe just got through something in your life. Sometimes when we go through those things, we focus more on the problem or more what we're going through. We take our eyes off of Christ. But when we see Peter step out and he begin to sink, he says, Jesus, helps me. help me. He comes close to him. Peter figured that it was more important to obey Jesus' command than to focus on the circumstances. When Jesus said, come, Jesus said, okay, I'm going to listen to your command. I'm going to come. Even though the circumstances don't look great. He is thinking, the great I am is on top of those waves. What he said is larger than the waves rising against him. He focused not on what he had walked through, but whom he was walking to. Focused on him. Drawing close to him. And when we're going through something, we draw close to him. Peter is not so much walking on water as he's walking on the promises of God. He's not so much standing on the waves as he's standing on the character of Jesus. It was when he took his eyes off of those two things that he started to sink. Verse 30 says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, and he cried out. We need to focus on the word. The word, obviously, the word as we have right here in our hands. But Jesus says he is the word. We focus on him. And you'll walk, metaphorically, on water. You'll walk through the circumstance that you're going through because you have him, the one who walked out to you through the circumstance. Focus on the waves and you'll wallow in weakness. Focus on Christ and you have greatness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this scripture shows us of your divinity that you are who you said you are. You are the great I am. We recognize that as we go through things, we need to draw close to you. And as we go through things, the waves might seem to still be there, but actually we get this picture in John 6. When you entered the boat, we were there on solid ground. Who knows if it happened just like that or if it's because they just had Jesus with them. They just made it through the storm and it felt like they just landed right there on solid ground. But we know that you will lead us faithfully. That you are trustworthy. 
that great is your faithfulness. We thank you that you, you walk on water for us, to us. In your name we pray. Amen.